the next thing you know, they got married. And so, I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would. Let's go over to uh, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Let's see where I'm at. 2 Thessalonians, and uh, chapter 2, and verse 15. One verse over here. My subject is upholding the truth. Uh, upholding God's church. Upholding the church of the Lord. How are you going to uphold that? I looked at, uh, I looked in a concordance and upholding. Hebrews 1, 3 is the only place I found upholding. So I looked up the uh, Greek, uh, uh, definition of what actually, what upholding means. And it was really good. Here's what I found out. It meant to maintain to the end. Completion. Maintained to the end. And that's what we want to do here. We want to hold on and hold forth and, and because the Lord is coming. All right. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, brethren, and I like over at Hebrews there, he talks about holy brethren. That's what we ought to be. He says, brethren, stand fast and hold, there you go, the traditions, I think the doctrines. Boy, Paul really told Timothy a whole lot about that, didn't he? Which ye have been taught, whether by word, that'd be word that while you were there audible, you heard Paul preach. Or our epistle and word of truth, inspired word. Thank God for the truth of God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll help me. To be a blessing as so many have been blessed, uh, Lord, we have with these preachers. Lord, we're thankful. It just seems so wonderful to be here, to hear your word. We didn't travel this long distance, Lord, or nothing, but what a reward at the end coming here. So good to see our brothers and sisters. Thank you for this church that put us up at the motel and puts up with me. I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you would bless us this day by casting our cares and our thoughts and our mind and our all onto the one who gave us all for us, we pray in his precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You know, there's something about over there, the pattern of God's church that's laid out there, I think, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. But something about happened over there on the day of Pentecost. You know, how do we go from the Gospels over to the Epistles? By means of the book of Acts, right? I mean, that's the transition. When you notice how that all the Gospels end, interesting, I come across this. The very end of Matthew, of course, ends with the uh, resurrection but that's addressed in Acts chapter 1. And the end of the Gospel of Mark, you got the ascension over there, and then, of course, we've got it over there in Acts chapter 1. you got the end of Luke over there, uh, the Gospel of Luke, talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, and sure enough, tarry for that promise. Amen? And then, of course, in the end of the Gospel of John, you got the second coming is addressed over there in Acts chapter 1. You know, the same Jesus gone, he's coming again, you know. And you see how, how the transition, of course, the Lord started his church and, and the apostles, just like we, just ignorant, you know. I just wondered how many times, you know, you know, they thought this, they thought that, and they had no idea what the Lord was talking about, but they were his apostles. It was a learning process, and they, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to teach you. He'll guide you in all truth, and, and they were guided, and we need to be guided. We maintain the truth. We stay with the truth. But I'll tell you what, over there in First or First Timothy chapter uh, uh, 2, let's see if I'm in the right chapter here. 
Nope, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Or wait a minute, hold on here now. Hold on, I know I got it. Yeah, 1 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 14, these things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, Timothy. But if I tarry, let me tell you, if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God. Yeah, you ought to behave, but what's he really mean by that? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, you talk about those Reformed Baptists, they got the doctrines of grace and everything, but, uh, you know, they where are they going to put it? Lord never put it, he put it on the church. The church is to maintain that truth. The house of the Lord, we need to maintain the Lord. This church has the truth as the church goes. The truth goes, the church will go. And, and you find that over here, you find in First Timothy, Paul's dealing with the church over there by Terry Law. And when you look at that, talking about the latter times in relationship to the the, the, the faith, the truth, the faith, that's pretty well been covered. Where's he at? Back there in the corner there. We find that in, in the two epistles, it's amazing. We're told here that in 1 Timothy 4, 1, you don't need to turn it out, just read it to you real quick. Some shall depart from the faith over there. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that latter time, we're here. Some shall depart, yet yeah, they've been doing that, been, and will continue, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Some depart from the faith, some deny the faith. But if any provide not for his own, especially those of his own house, why, huh, uh, we better straighten him out. For the wor- he's worse than an infidel. So some deny the faith and their, their behavior. Yeah, some depart from it and some cast off their first faith. They start out having damnation because they've cast off their first faith. Uh, and that's in 1 Timothy 5.12. And some shall seduce, be seduced from the faith. And that's over there in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. For the love of money, root of all evil. And they're seduced because of riches, pierced themselves through with a lot of sorrows. Some not only seduced from the faith and cast off the first faith, but some shall err concerning the faith. That is, some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee to help you in that matter. 1 Timothy 6, 21. Some shall overthrow the faith of others. Wow. Some. It's amazing. Who are these? You know, we say, well, there's some out here. We don't like to talk about people, but Paul said, hey, there's some. And you know what? In First Timothy, he calls them some. And he gets into Second Timothy and he says, all have forsaken me. Wow. Something happened. We don't want to do that. Some shall be reprobate concerning the faith some shall be some shall over the uh, overthrow the faith of others also over there uh, who concerning the truth have erred saying the resurrection's passed already and those two critters over there Hymenius and that other guy second timothy 3 8 we're told that janice and jambres even they withstood moses we got a lot of people out here they'll stand you right in the face tell you man you're a heretic yeah that's all right no problem listen we love people. We want to see people saved. And it's through the gospel. If they're going to get saved, that's, that's it. And we have no ability. We know that. I came out of Catholicism, and I'll tell you, I, most thankful. I didn't even know Baptist. God took care of all the situations, saved me, led me to a Baptist church where the truth of sovereign grace and the local church was taught. Boy, man alive was on. Led me down to, called me. And scared me half to death when he called me to preach. Really, I, I was scared. I was thought, man, I'm dumber than any rock. And what am I going to do? 
But I tell you what, I put myself to study the Word of God. God called, God taught. You know, the book of Acts, like I say, this transition. You get to the day of Pentecost, man, things were really happening. But I'll tell you what, the four Gospels are just like the Genesis of the New Testament. But the book of Acts, now that's like compared to Exodus, you know. Somebody said this, you know, look at how much they suffered. And they were glad to suffer for the cause of Christ. You know, some of the epistles that really get me, um, James and Peter, First Peter and James, first, first chapter there. He talks about those that are scattered abroad. Greetings. Why are you scattered abroad? They're on the run. They got a death sentence on them. You're scattered because of the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're suffering. He writes to them, encourage them. And then you get over to that epistle of Jude there. He says the same thing about the folks that are scattered. But he says, you know, I'd like to write about the gospel. Man, it's a beautiful thing to write about the gospel. But, you know, he said there's something more. The Holy Spirit said, no, no, don't want you to do that. I got something more important on schedule. What could be more important than the gospel? Getting people say, well, we're going to do that all the time anyway. But look out. Like you say, you start out, where are you going to end? Right, Brother John? Where are you going to end? You know, because the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And we are to uphold it. That is, we are to maintain it to the very end. Amen. We don't give up. We don't shut up till we're taken up, somebody said. And that's true. But you find over here in the book of Acts here, you know, the man, all through the book of Acts, it's a historical book till we get over to those epistles, the Pauline epistles. Somebody says like the Leviticus portion of the New Testament, emphasizing the holiness of the Lord. Amen. And also separation and standing for Christ. You get to Peter, James, and John over there and Jude, and they're compared to the wilderness journey of God's people, the trials and the suffering, like I said, scattered abroad. And so the churches, we find there, that going through the book of Acts as they are established from the church of Jerusalem, it's amazing. First 30 years. That, that covers about 30 years, the book of Acts. And you find over there that the church was viciously attacked by Satan, right from the get-go, right from the start. They're empowered. And I told our church, I said, you know, over there in John chapter 20, where the Lord, post-resurrection, he appeared unto his his disciples, for fear of the Jews, they're locked, got it shut, and then all of a sudden right through the wall, here he came. Well, he's creator of the, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, he comes in there, and twice he breathed on them, and he said, peace be on you. The first time, calm their nerves. Second time, the revelatory, I think he was breathing on them, he said, peace be on you. And i tell you what brings peace is truth. And he is truth. And he came. Not only did he calm their nerves. And why did he do it twice? First time didn't work? No. First time to calm their nerves, yes. But the second time, hey, it is I. You know, the resurrection. And so to get them going. And so the book of Acts, we see they were going all right. And the Lord, of course, with them 40 days. And, and of course, you know, 10 days there. Bible study, prayer meeting, Acts 1. And then Acts chapter 2 comes. And he said, Terry, you're going to be witnesses. Man, they, you know, we need to be faithful witnesses. And they were. They tarried. They wait. They weren't sitting idle. They were seeking the Lord. Peter did a Bible study. said, hey, you know what? I've been over in the Psalms here. Seems like we're supposed to replace Judas. <laughs> you know, let his bishopric be. All right. 
So on we find the church is viciously attacked. Like I say, Satan, he tempted by trying to ban the church using Jewish religious leaders. And chapter 4 of Acts, man, it said they arrested them, you know. And uh, they, they had a prayer meeting and the power came down. And they said, didn't we tell those folks <laughs> a little while ago to shut up and they're out on the street again? And it says in Acts chapter 5, by the way, it says that they were spreading their doctrine all through Jerusalem. And that made them upset. Hey, let's do some spreading of the doctrines of Christ. And when you talk about the doctrine of Christ, that's there's his person and work. Amen. That's the gospel. But man, there's every aspect that he's given to his church. Amen. To keep the doctrines, keep the faith and the ordinances. Which preach the right way of salvation. And it's not a preacher ordinance, it's church ordinance. So, so much for those out there with their sovereign grace reform, deformed bunch. So, that's right. The church is viciously, I'm telling you what, man, it breaks my heart. I see young guys out there, I, I know them, some of them, and some of them may, I, I know them, I don't know them real good, some I've been, it, it makes me weep. They, they've been taught the truth of the, the local church. How could they, oh yeah, we got the church truth, but, you know, aside for the reform bunch. Man, that makes me sad. They knew better. I hope the best for them and I pray for them. And I hope you will too. As we love them. But the devil tried to ban it using Jewish religious leaders. Then he tried to buy it using Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8. Then he tried to bury the church there using Saul Tarsus. Boy, stomped down that church, but God had a plan for him. And then the devil tried to bridle it, you know, using legalist teachers. And then in chapter 15, that's where it happened. You know, you're saved by grace through faith. That's it. Settled the matter. And then you got over there in the 16th chapter, the devil tried to blur it using a demon-possessed little girl of what Paul was preaching. He got tired of that thing, turned around and said, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, it's all over for you, demon. And then we find the devil tried to belittle the truth that the church was preaching using Stoics and Epicureans. And chapter 17, they mocked the resurrection. <laughs> well, they're dead and gone, but I tell you, they're not gone. They're somewhere. The soul that sinneth, you know, the real you is your soul. And your soul's eternal. Where's it going? The devil blasphemed it, truth, the doctrines that were taught by the church in Acts. We find using Demetrius and the silversmith over there in Acts chapter 19. So much for that. But we find over here that God's pattern right from the get-go was laid out, wasn't he? He taught them what the, he gave them the pattern, just like Moses was given the pattern in the Old Testament. We have Christ giving his pattern for his church and the ordinances to keep them. That's what they were commanded, imperative commanded. And so the day of Pentecost was an amazing day. The church that day was empowered, didn't become, you know, there's horrible, horrible things, mistakes that people, when they come to church, they think, you know, because you're friends with the pastor, you know, that don't make you a friend with God. All right. You, you know, you ought to be both. But some people think coming to church, but they don't come to Christ. That's sad. 
Horrible mistake. Another horrible mistake is they got religion instead of righteousness of Christ. And some people hear the gospel sad. They don't believe it. They don't believe it. And uh, that's sad and hit. Terrible mistake. How much time I got? Seemed like I just started. Huh? Huh? Oh, I got a while. All right, here we go. Seatbelt. It was the church operating in the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. There's the pattern. And the church was on a mission taking the gospel to the lost world as was commanded by Christ. The church was excited about the Savior. That's why they went. We serve a risen Savior. And they were singing it as they were going. And the church was committed to holiness, obedience to the Word of God, and to worship. Amen. Man, how could you not? It's bubbling and the cup's running over. And that's what worship is, isn't it? Yeah, you folks are just empty and dry. If you don't fill the cup, it don't run over. You ain't got to worship. So... Fill my cup, Lord. So it was the church that enjoyed the manifest presence and power of God everywhere they went. The church was growing, added daily. You get in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 down, well, especially 42 down to 47 down there. You find, you know, the modern church today, the church which we are all familiar with, modern churches, they are far removed from what this, and listen, you say, what should our church be? What ought a church ought to be? You get in the scripture, you'll find not only what it should be, but what it should be doing and what it should be maintaining to the end. You know, the church in Acts was a united church, and without that, boy, we ain't going far. So we're to be faithful witnesses. We're to be bold and strong and wise and diligent, as Paul told Timothy in First Timothy, the first and second, third and fourth chapter. These people loved one another. They were being persecuted for the faith. Didn't stop them. Losing their jobs. Found something to do. God provided. And he always provided. And he's provided my life. He's taken care of me a long time. But Timothy was given a charge by Paul. And he talks about the church. That's the pillar and the ground of the truth, right? And so over there, over in... Acts chapter 2, we find that they held their faith in common. That they were in one heart, one soul. They were in one accord. In Acts 4.32 there. They stood with one another, not against one another. You know, I'm beginning it. They presented a united front to the hostile world. The church in Acts, not only were they united, they were committed. And we're told that they continued daily, Acts 2.46. Daily. Not Sunday morning, night, Wednesday night, daily. Now, I know you say, well, we got a job, we got to preach, we got to make a living. Yeah? And you got to die sometime. And well, why not commit, you know, what can you substitute? People are substituting their time that they could have with Christ with other things. Things. And they're never happy, never satisfied. Only Jesus is going to satisfy your soul. So they were committed to worship, like I say, and you keep that in mind there. You know, over there in Second Timothy chapter 1, and we're told three, four times over there, Paul talks about they were not ashamed. Not ashamed. In chapter 1, 8, verse 12, and verse 16. Then over in the second chapter, verse 15, talking about we ought to study that we might not be ashamed. 
Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1. We ought not be ashamed of Christ. But you get around a crowd and people, you know, isn't it, what, I, I, would be, I would be ashamed if somebody came up and, and asked me, you know, about what I believe and I'd be not able to tell them because I'm afraid that I'd offend them. Listen, Galatians chapter 5, Paul says there's an offense when you preach the cross. So now, now we are not offensive people, but there is an offense, and it offends the flesh. And people, the flesh, listen, lost people, they don't like it, it offends them. Because the flesh thinks it's just doing fine, and it's not. You know, Paul, we're told over there in Timothy, Paul describes himself in 2 Timothy as an apostle in that first chapter. He was a sent one, and so were we. We were sent. We've been commissioned, each and every one of these true New Testament churches here. And then he talks about being a good soldier over there in that second chapter. And then that third chapter, he describes himself as a prophet. And he, he, a prophet to tell forth, you know. That's what we ought to do. Tell forth the truth. And then, of course, in that fourth chapter, he was a martyr, wasn't he? He sure was. But anyway, the church was also powerful. We see people saved. Wow, 3,000. You say, well, that's a lot. Probably up to 100,000 people or maybe even more there that day. So, you know, 3% got saved maybe and 97% went home and went straight to hell. You know what a sad thing I read in the book of Acts in that eighth chapter about that Ethiopian? He went to church all the way to Jerusalem. And on his way back, he went lost and he, he come back from church service lost. God had mercy on his soul. He was seeking. The church was not only powerful, it was militant, man. I mean, they carried the gospel everywhere they went. And this church in the book of Acts was feared. Now, I like, you know, after Ananias and Sapphira tried to pull their lie and trick, they were killed by God for lying. And fear fell on all the people because of the power of God that rested on his church. Where's the power today? We're not looking for people to drop dead. <laughs> we want them to come alive. But where's the, it's, a, it's a fearful thing to come to church. It, when You know, you come, and we always overlook the, the most important member of this church, and that's the head, Jesus Christ. We look at the pastor, one another, we forget, Christ is here. And so business is not going to be as usual. <laughs> it's going to be high and spiritual, lifting our eyes up to the one that loved us. But the modern church is so divided today and uncommitted, and, and the modern church is powerless, and it's sad, really sad. we got dead, ortho, dead orthodoxy, just as pathetic as dead liberalism. The modern church is not militant. Churches today... You know, we ought to be pattering, patterning ourselves according to Scripture. The modern church is not feared. <laughs> the world mocks us. The world mocks our Bible, our worship, our God. When Hollywood comes out with one of these religious shows on TV, you know, so man, wow, they're way off, you know. Uh, they do it on purpose. They're ignorant of the truth. Anyway, they usually are pictured as some simple-minded lunatic, child molester, or psycho nut job. That's how Hollywood presents them. 
the Lord. They laugh in our powerlessness. They find humor in our gospel. They believe we're all hypocrites in far too many cases. Sad to say. Could they be right? The world doesn't fear us. Somebody says, do they have a reason to? We've been with the Lord, and He stands with us like in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 there. There ought to be power manifested, seen. When they prayed, the power came down. You know, I'm interested in our church being the right kind of church, and I believe it is, but, oh, there's much to be done. And, and be in line. This last year, I've had a lot of health issues. Man, I'll tell you. Last May, when you were having this conference, we had to go up to New York, up there near Canada. Our daughter-in-law died. We had to watch our two girls for 10 months. About wore me out. Lost my sanity first week. My wife did too, but we got over it. When, you know, they're beautiful little six and eight-year-old girls. And they were with their daddy. Whew. Six weeks ago, he called on the phone. He said, hey, I'm having a problem down here. Oh, <laughs> we'll pray for you. <laughs> and we do. Little break for us, you know, a little break. And, uh, and then I went into all these health problems, Gene, I'll tell you. Oh, my goodness. I don't Went over to Ireland to see where my mom was born over there. Yes, we have a castle. <laughs> Ain't much. You know, castles, man's castles, his home over there was for protection. <laughs> all those castles, don't kid yourself. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, the, our church, the Lord church, his church preaches the right message. Amen. And you see that in Acts chapter 2. We find that Peter inspired man. He said, you by wicked hands. Man, he laid it on him, didn't he? Listen, if there's no conviction, there ain't going to be no conversion. The Spirit of God takes the truth and going to prick the heart. Convict the soul, amen? You ain't got that. All you got is a church member dead, somebody dead and, and sins. And there they are on their way to hell and you preach, you preach to them. I'm not happy. With somebody just sitting under, you know, preaching. You know, I preach to them and I tell you, sometimes they get, man, they don't want to come back. I feel uneasy with your preaching. Well, I love you and I hope that you'll feel good after a while, you know, and get saved. But, uh, I'm not, that's how I feel about it. The church was made up of right people, amen. Had the right message, right people. And the church follows the right program. Thank God for that. And I think I got, I'm going to close with this. I've got, I found this and I said, man, I got, I got a, some random questions we ought to ask the church this week. If your church disappeared today, would your community know the difference? Hmm. If God sent revival to your church, would you be ready to grow the new believers he gives? Oh yeah. If your church carried out church discipline on every member living in flagrant sin. How many members would still remain? How would your church react if God did something in your service that was not already scheduled in the church bulletin? Oh, we can't. We got to go according to you. Yeah. If you conducted a basic survey in your Sunday morning crowd, how many would find 
would, would the findings compare to your church's doctrinal statement? Well, skip over it. If the Bible were, was taken away from your church's leaders, uh, did ministry based, that was based only on the Word of God in their ministry, how many, how many ministry would you have left? How much ministry, how would it, would it continue? If your church faced persecution, what percentage of members would die rather than renounce Christ? And you hit that, Brother Gene. If no one ever joined our, your church again, how long would it be before your church closes its doors? If members of the early church in the book of Acts attended your church next Sunday, what would they think? If God left your church today, would any of its activities still continue? Yeah, oh, yeah. And a lot of churches. Man, the rapture take place. Man, same old, same old. That's going to happen a lot of churches. I believe that. I really do. I believe the Lord's going to call, call us up and, and uh, oh my goodness. Hey, what happened to Sosa? I don't know. Probably out at the beach or something like that. You know, the problem with us is that we've lost. There we go. Yeah, I saw that little. But Baptists have lost their pilgrimage character, haven't we? We sure have. I was going to start out saying, welcome brothers, sojourners, pilgrims, fellow travelers. <laughs> 